John chapter 11, verse 38. John chapter 11, verse 38. If you have it, say, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so hyped. I'm so excited. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Columbia, can y'all put your hands together? Can you welcome BWI, Baltimore County? Those watching online, wherever you find yourself. Um, I'm going to make you laugh today. I'm going to make you think today. The Holy Spirit's going to speak to you today. But I want to say something to you that is unequivocally the truth. What, what I'm going to teach today is the most important thing you could ever learn and apply as a believer. And I'm not, I'm not sizing it. I'm not exaggerating it. I just want to set the level of expectation so that you're leaning in by faith. But I'm telling you, if you capture and apply what God laid on my heart today, your life will be unrecognizable to you and to everybody around you in a good way. What I'm going to teach is God's key to seeing exceeding and abundantly all that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. It's the key to the supernatural life. Somebody say amen and amen and amen. If you could turn a little bit of light on in this room, I can't see all Columbia's beautiful faces. John chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 38. Y'all ready? It says this. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, this sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead. Somebody say four days. Four days. Come on, BWI. Somebody say four days. four days. Now, let me pause for a second. This is the same passage I preached last week. I have never in 11 years of ministry preached the same passage two weeks in a row. But after last week's message, I went over the passage on Monday. And some, you ever read your Bible and something just jumps out and smacks you in the face? And there's something in this passage that God has for us today. But I want to pull this out. So here it is, Lazarus. He's sick. He's a friend of God. Mary and Martha, his sisters, go to Jesus and said, hey, Lazarus, the one that you love, is dying. Come and heal him. When that happened, the Bible says that Jesus delayed three days. Jesus, we have a problem. Great. I'll be there. And he did not come for three days. By the time he got there, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Last year, Dr. Darius Daniels came and preached, and one of the things in his message that I will never forget is he said that God is always working. Even when he's not working, he's working. Everything he does is intentional. So the fact that Jesus delayed three days and it looked like he was doing nothing, he was doing something. I'm preaching Pastor Darius' message while he was doing nothing. The delay was on purpose. And here was the purpose. I don't want you to miss this. In the Jewish culture, they believed that a person's spirit would hover over their body for three days after death. And they believed for three days after death that there was a possibility that their spirit would re-enter their body and that that person could come back to life. So for three days, they would not embalm them. They would not prepare them for burial. They would just leave them just in case they came back to life. Somebody say the fourth day. The reason why Jesus waited three days and showed up on the fourth day is because he said, ain't nobody going to take credit for my miracle. You're not going to explain away the fact that it was my word that brought him back to life. Jesus waited till it was 100% hopeless. 
And when all hope was lost, Jesus stepped in because he said, I'm not just interested in raising the dead, but this miracle is going to prove to the world that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear me. If Jesus is delaying his answer, it's because it's better than you thought it was. Jesus said to her, I, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then he took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. How arrogant is that prayer? Jesus saying, I'm not praying because I need to pray. I'm praying because they need to hear me pray. Because, Father, I know you're always listening and you're always watching. So I know you all hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Father, you're already here. You're already speaking. Transform our lives. God, from the unbeliever to the seasoned saint. God, you have something for each and every one of us. Take this one loaf of bread and divide it amongst the 5,000. And we'll be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout amen, amen. and amen. Well, um, the enemy won, and the Ravens are out of the playoffs. So there's absolutely no reason to rush home after church. So this might be the longest message you've ever heard. <laughs> I'm joking. We're in week two of a series called Fine Print. Somebody say fine print. And I only have one goal, one agenda through this series. My goal is to get you to fall in love with your Bible. My goal is to get you to see that God's word is not antiquated. It is not a historical text. It is not just theology, but it is transformative that God's word is God. Last week, we talked about how the Bible is Jesus, and Jesus is the Bible. Come on, Baltimore. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1 goes on to say that everything that was created was created through the Word. If I had time to mess with your theology, you have to understand that the Bible is the Word of God. Somebody say, I knew that. Well, what did God use to create the heavens and the earth? He used His So we picture that God said, let there be light, and light just appeared. But remember, Jesus is the Word. So God said, let there be light, and Jesus went and made light. And God said, let there be water, and Jesus went and made, because everything that was made was made by the Word, and the Word is Jesus. Am I confusing you? Y'all tracking with me? Verse 14 says this, and the Word became flesh and walked amongst us. And just in case you were confused, John 1, 14 says, and the Word was the Son of God. There is only one, the Son of God, and that is Jesus Christ. If you were to prick Jesus, take out his blood, and look at it through a microscope, you would see that Jesus is double helix. His DNA strand says Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, because he is the Word, and the Word is him. 
So every time that they say they called Jesus, they called the word. Every time they say, we will buy trees planted by streams of living water, are those are the people that are planted by the word. They're talking about Jesus. Here is Lazarus. He is dying. Now he is dead. And his sisters called Jesus. Somebody say the word. They called the word, and they brought the word to the place of death. And with one word from Jesus' mouth, death turned to life. If there is any area of your life that is speaking of death, Bring the word to it. If there's an addiction that you're battling with or a loved one is battling with, get in God's word and begin to speak God's word over that addiction and watch the power of the word free you. If anger is something you're dealing with, if depression, if sickness or whatever it may be, the word is supernatural. Then I was reading this passage again. Here's the thought that crossed my mind. Here it is, Jesus came to the place of death, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And I just picture, how would you act if you was dead? Not dying. I mean, you dead, dead. You know, you know there's dead, and then there's like dead, dead. Dead is like you lived a long life, you, you know, 98, 97, and you kind of just over the earth because people are crazy down here. You're ready to go to heaven, and you, you close your eyes, and you dead. Dead, dead is you got hit by a bus. Like, it was quick. It was bad. It was violent. It's like, Lazarus was dead, dead. And he hadn't finished living his life, but life had been taken from him. Jesus, bring, how would you come out of that grave? If you thought life was stolen from you and you got just another shot at it, I'd have been like, ah, yeah, we alive. Some of y'all, when you got your degree, you went across the stage like that. Ah, yeah. Pray for your pastor. He's crazy. He's wearing a scarf. He feels like a worship leader. <laughs> Rocking my Lenny Kravitz preaching today. The Bible is clear that when Lazarus came out of that tomb, he didn't come out like this. He most likely came out like this. I'm preaching already. Because even though he was made alive, he was still wrapped in death. Even though the word had brought him back to life, he was still wrapped and bound by who he used to be, not who the word said he is. And it says that he had a cloth wrapped around his eyes, that even though, uh-oh, he was a Christian, he still had no visibility and he had no mobility. Because who he used to be was store more, still more of his identity than who the word said that he was. I, I'm going to get a picture. Can, can I get some help? I, we we pre-planned this. Hopefully this goes well because uh, I don't have a lot of time to preach. I have even less time to preach after I... Okay, come on, come on, come on. You know the drill. Grab this. Grab that. All right. Some of y'all going to think this is your days back at college. This is not that party that you went to that you shouldn't have gone to. 
Come on, let's, 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 oh, okay, 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 we got his eyes. Okay, that's enough for the eyes. Okay, we won't kill him. We just want to make him blind. All right, let's, let's bind him here. Give him another one here. Hold this one, David. Can y'all give it up for David? This is like the mummy returns. All right, we got enough, right? There we go. Okay, leave him. We're good. Okay. He's nice and good and dizzy. All right, there we go. All right, David, you doing all right? You know, when you came to work at Union Church, you didn't think this was going to, how it was going to go, did you? All right. Somebody say David. Say, hi, David. Hi, David. <laughs> he can't really see y'all, but David represents a believer. He's accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. We'll, we'll give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the service every Sunday. By the way, we don't have friends and family Sunday at Union Church. Every Sunday is friends and family Sunday. There's not one Sunday that the service doesn't end without an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. Da David surrendered his life to Jesus. Matter of fact, David surrendered his life to Jesus 10 years ago. Can I, can I, can I preach it, preach it? David's leading the connect group. David's been through growth track, and he's serving on two different dream teams. David tithes. You know you save, save when you tithe. Like, I mean, you save when you keep your money, but when you give God the first 10%, that's when you, you. How much do you believe this? First and 15th. That's the level I, be I believe. That's where David is. But even though he's a Christian, he still has the clothes of where he came from, and there's still cloth wrapped around his eyes. You, you, you know what I realize? Sometimes church can be the most discouraging place on the planet, and, and it, 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 it's, it's not my fault. Pastors have good intentions, but sometimes there's a disconnect from where we preach to where we live. So I'll stand in church Baltimore, and I'll say, oh, I wish I was one of the moving preachers. I can't do that, though. God has a plan for your life, and everybody says. Amen. He said, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. David, there's a destiny that God has. David, start walking towards your destiny. Let's say David's destiny is the drum set. David, can you do me a favor? Can you go over to the drum set, please? And for the second time, we need to have time to bind his legs, so imagine that his legs are all wrapped up. Last service, he started walking towards the platform. He nearly fell off, so I'm glad he's going the wrong way this time. David, that's really expensive. Please don't knock that over. <laughs> All right, you're never going to get to your destiny. Okay, you just, you just. He's been saved for 10 years. But because he has no vision, he can't find his purpose. All right, let's, let's, the purpose, you know, that's, that's for deep Christians. Let's just find him a wife. David, can you please find your wife at least? I mean, oh, she look like, she ain't crazy. How do you know? You can't even see. This looks like the job that God has for me. How do you know? You can't see. All right, David, we're going to make this just basic. I don't need you to walk in destiny. I don't need you to find the person God has. I don't, I, I, can you just lift your hands and worship in church? David, you've been a Christian for 10 years. You can't praise him more than that. After all he's done in your life, all you got is half-masked. 
Isn't it amazing how we judge Christians? And we're like, why aren't you doing more with your life? And if we could see them in this, if you could see you in the spirit, chances are you've been made alive in Christ, but still bound and blind in what God has brought you from yesterday. Come on, can y'all give it up for David? Let's see if we can get. All right, thank you, thank you. You can drop all that here. And here's, he's just working my illustration. As he's running off a stage, bondage is just falling off of him. I love preaching in the middle of a fast. Because you can say boo-boo. People are like, ah! Here's what breaks my heart. I love Jesus, but I'm tied in fear. I love, we think people who struggle with sin don't love Jesus. No, I love Jesus. It's just before I came alive in Christ, I was bound in lust. And now that I'm alive in Christ, I'm still bound in that. That's why Paul said, the good that I want to do, I don't end up doing that. And the thing that I swear I will never do again, like swearing, is the thing that I end up doing over and over and over. I'm so glad that you're alive in Jesus. And if you're not, you're going to have an opportunity for Jesus to make you alive at the end of this service. But when you're bound and you're blind, and you're tired of bumping into things, you're tired of bruising yourself, you're tired of failing over and over and over again, can I tell you where theology comes from? You make up this theology, well, it'll all be better in heaven. I'm not going to dream. I'm not going to hope. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to pursue anything better than I have right now because it's done nothing but bring me more pain. And your Christianity becomes all about when you die. When Jesus didn't preach, get ready to die. He said, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. He said, here's how you pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. But if I can't see and I can't move, then I'll never experience heaven on earth. I'm going to give you just three quick thoughts, three quick thoughts. How do I experience heaven on earth? How do I walk in all the promises that God has for me? The first thing is this. We must walk towards the word. We must walk towards the word. God said, Lazarus, here's the first thing that Lazarus heard when he came alive. Come forth. And he didn't move fast because he was tied up in fear. He, he, he wasn't able to run towards Jesus be, be, because he had insecurity issues and pride. But he moved towards the word. As a believer, it's our job, as slow or as fast as we possibly can, that I'm going to move towards God's Word and away from the way that I was living. Here's the problem. Many of us don't realize that before you met Jesus, you were dead. You were not just ratchet, even though that was a part of it. You were not just prideful. You were not just... One of the reasons why we're not as grateful for the cross as we should be 
is we think the blood of Jesus made a bad person good. Come on now. The lack of amens is going to make me beat this point in the ground. Some of y'all know who y'all was. Some of all y'all know, Pastor, it ain't nothing but the grace of God. The fact that I'm here, this is nothing but the hand of God. But that's only like 20% of y'all. About 80% of church folks never thought they were that bad in the first place. About 80% of church folks believe that if Jesus was only dying on the cross for me, it wouldn't have taken all that. Maybe one little lash, one little crown of thorns, and that would have washed all my sins away. But it wouldn't have taken all that. All that that he went through, the nails, the beating, the death, that, that was for maybe Hitler's sins or Stalin's sin or, or some terrorist or some evil person. But that didn't require my sin. Here's why. Because you don't realize God is not in the business of making bad people good. He is in the business of making dead people alive. He didn't turn your life around. He gave you life. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, it says this, However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ. While we were dead as a result of those things that we did wrong, he did this because of the great love that he has for us. We are saved by God's grace. Before you surrender your life to Jesus, you are dead. Think about a dead body. A dead body can't see. A dead body can't feel. A dead body can't move. A dead body can't even think. And the Bible says that before you surrender your life to Jesus, you are alive physically, but you are dead spiritually. That's why you could say some of the most hurtful things out of your mouth and not even feel sorry about it. Because the part of you that feels is dead. That's why you could have so much opportunity in front of you and not see anything but depression, fear, and anxiety. Because you have no vision. And when Jesus brings me back to life and I begin to move towards him, I start to get my mobility back. So somebody sent us a Christmas gift a while back. And to date, no offense if you've bought me a Christmas gift since, this was the best Christmas gift we've ever gotten in our lives. Like, there's not even a close second. Someone sent us a live lobster. It, it came in, in a little, little box, you know, those little like boxes that have ice packs in it and all that kind of stuff. And, and it was at the door and, and we went and got it. We opened it up. We put it on a kitchen countertop and there's a lobster inside the box. The only thing is to keep it fresh. The lobster was half frozen. So because it was half frozen, it didn't move. I've never cooked lobster in my life. I've never cooked lobster since. I don't know. I've never seen that before in my life. I was just like, man, this is amazing. We took pictures. We were goofing, all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of sat there on the countertop for a few hours. Then <laughs> after a while, I said, hey, babe, we probably should do something with this lobster. Let, let, let's cook it for dinner. And without even looking, I put my hand in the box to grab the lobster that was not moving three hours ago. The problem is, after three hours of being exposed to a heated house, that lobster started to get its mobility back. 
I put my hand in there, lobster said, what's up? Yo, I've never flown before. And I have not flown since. But if I tell you the way I jumped back, I'm gonna post a video online, you'll see it today. Literally, I lost my mind. And now I had to get a live lobster into a boiling pot of water. It took me 15 minutes, four different types of tongues. I'm just like. That's why you could come to church and on your first Sunday, you can sit throughout all of the music. People are dancing and screaming and shouting all around you. And you're thinking, they're weird. They're extra. Why she keep screaming like that? I can't hear. Come on now. And then the next Sunday you come because you didn't like it. Or at least you don't want to admit that you liked it. It was just different. They got Chris Rock preaching like he's funny. And And then, you know what people do now? I'm just going to hang out on this point right now. Because you like it, but you can't admit that you like it, you blame coming back on somebody else. Well, well, my wife liked it. I want to encourage my wife. <laughs> because I'm young and we have a lot of young people at the church, we have a lot of parents who feel like they don't fit here. When God is not the God of Abraham, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a multi-generational God. I can't tell you how many older saints said, I'm just here for my kids. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> Week three comes, and you're like. <laughs> Week four, I'm going to see your victory. If you stay for four months, you're like, I'm going to see your victory. <laughs> Are you pledging? Are you worshiping? Oh. <laughs> I got to move on. <laughs> you ever seen... Somebody who's out of their old life, but not quite into their new life. And I'm learning to worship, but I don't quite know how to worship. So I, I, everybody around me dancing, and I want to dance. Next thing you know, I'm like slow dancing with God. I'm just. <laughs> what is that? When I get around Jesus, when I get around the word, it starts to bring life back into my spirit, man. I start getting my vision back. I start getting my mobility back. But it only happens when I'm walking towards the word. Psalm 107, 19. It says, Israel cried out to God because they were in trouble. If ah, Israel was God's people, but yet they were still in bondage. You can be a Christian and still in bondage. It says, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. If you struggle with pornography, I'll pray for you. I'll lay hands on you. But that's not all you need. You need to pray and fast. Fasting weakens your flesh's control. And then you need to read the word every day that looses the bondage in your life. If you struggle with alcohol, go to rehab, get accountability, but get in the word and watch him send his word to heal and deliver you. Two major things that the word heals. The second thing I need you to write down is this. We must change our clothes. We must change our clothes. You, 
You, you ever been to a place where you weren't dressed properly? You, you remember how awkward that felt? I, I was at an event a few weeks ago, and it was a church event. And it wasn't a church like Union Church. They were church church. I mean, like, three-piece suit, bow ties. That, not the bow ties that clip, but the one you actually tie yourself. I mean, the, the Stacey Adams socks, the gaiters, and all that other. They, it wasn't church. It was church. There's a difference. Now, Union Church is church, but we're more like church. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we, we jeans, sweatshirts, t-shirts, whatever it may be. We just, it's not theology. It's just us. So I dressed like I was going to church, and I, I was going to church. So I walk into this event, and within about three seconds, I figured out I was underdressed. I had a pair of jeans on. I had my best sweater on. The one I only wear for like Christmas and Easter, that sweater. But it wasn't a three-piece suit. I look around. I mean, everybody else is suit supplies, Stacey Adams from head to toe. And I was just, I felt so uncomfortable. I knew I was in the wrong attire when somebody came up to me and said, hey, could you grab me some water? I'll do a Perrier. And uh, which table am I sitting at? <laughs> I started looking for a name tag. I said, do I, <laughs> do I work here? <laughs> it's awkward when you're in an environment, but you're not dressed for the environment that you're in. When you're dead, they drop you in death clothes. Lazarus was wrapped in clothes fitting for the place of death. But when he came out of the place of death, he was still wrapped in the clothes of death. And the first thing that Jesus said is, take those clothes of death off of him. He's not the same that he was three minutes ago. Now, biblically, your clothes represent your identity. Not just biblically, but naturally today. We all know who the judge in the room is because they're the only person wearing the black cloak. We all know who the police officer is, who, 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 who the soldier is. We, 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 we know what people's vocation is. When you walk into a hospital, you're not asking who the doctor is. You see the white coat, and you know that must be the... Because their attire lets you know their identity. What you wear is your identity. And don't get me in terms of your natural clothes, but it's the identity that you wear. Baby, because I'm a thug all day, every day. <laughs> That's your identity. Some of you have taken on the identity that you are bougie. Some of you have taken on the identity that I don't care what nobody says. I'm going to be me. I don't know what that was, but that was just. You know people have taken on the identity that they just need to prove to you that they're smarter than you are? And they'd be using the biggest SAT word that they got, and they don't even know what it means. I just, every time they do that, I just, huh? But we all have an identity that we've put on. But we picked our identity before we became alive in Christ. And now that we're alive in Christ, some of us are still wearing the old clothes that we used to wear. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person on the inside. He is not the same anymore. A not new life or not, not a better life. He said, a new life has begun, BW. He said, you're not different. You are brand new. And so many people, you're new in Christ, but you're wearing an old identity. Can, can I say it this way? You don't believe about you what the Bible says about you. You believe about you what your past says about you. So God says one thing, you say something else. So God says that your sins are forgiven and your past redeemed. But you say that I have to live in shame for the rest of my life because I had an abortion. Or there's now a scarlet letter on my name because I went through a divorce. Or I can never be trusted again because I experienced a bankruptcy. Or whatever it is, the biggest failure, the biggest sin, the biggest thing in your past that you are terrified that anybody else would find out about it because if they found out about it, they would think less of you, especially in church. It's amazing how we just throw our church clothes on and we present the identity that we think people want to see because we're afraid of our past being exposed. You know that's what happened to Moses. Moses was anointed by God, by called by God. Moses said, go back to Egypt. God said, I'm going to use you to free three million Israelites out of slavery. Moses said, how can I go? They're not going to know that God is now with me. Moses was afraid that they would remember who he used to be. You see, Moses killed somebody before he... <laughs> Moses abandoned the people that needed him the most. Here's what God said. He said, Moses, what's in your hand? Moses had a staff in his hand. A staff to an Israelite was a man's journal. They would take a knife and they would etch in that staff every time they had a major life event. When David killed the lion, he would have etched it in his staff. When he killed a bear, he would have etched it in the staff. When Moses killed that Egyptian, he would have etched it in the staff. When he abandoned all of his people, he would have etched it in the staff. What was in Moses' hand was not just a staff, it was everything he was ashamed of. God said, what's in your hand? Moses said, a staff, all of my shame. God said, throw it down. Let it go. That's what Freedom Conference is all about. It's, here's the problem. When he let it go, you know what happened? It turned into a snake. Because everybody feels like your past is going to come back to bite you. You know what God told Moses? He said, grab the snake by the tail. You know why God said that? Because he don't watch Crocodile Dundee. God wasn't born in the 90s, so he don't know about Crocodile Dundee. But all of us who were raised on Crocodile, come on. Oh, Crocky, mate. That's a big one. That's a really offensive Australian accent, but you guys get the idea. I've watched enough Animal Planet to know you do not grab a snake by the tail. Because its head can still whip around. God said, grab it by the tail. That's faith. Moses grabs it by the tail, it turns back into a staff. God said, the past that you're ashamed of trying to hide from and you think disqualifies you, I have redeemed your past and it is actually going to be your story that I am going to use for the future of your life. 
It's that staff that he parted the Red Sea with. It's that staff that he threw down and it turned into a snake and it ate the sorcerer's snake when they did the exact same miracle. It's the staff that he hit the Nile River with and it turned into blood. It's that staff that he put into the tabernacle that budded and proved that the hand of God was on his life. The exact thing that Moses was ashamed of is the exact thing that God used for him to fulfill his destiny. But here you are walking around ashamed of your past as if it disqualifies you for the future that God has for you because you don't understand what the word redeemed means. The Bible says your past has been redeemed. You know what redeemed means? It means to trade in for something of value. If you have a coupon, you give the coupon and you get $20 off, 10% off, $15 off, you get something of value back. God says your past has not just been forgiven. It has not just been erased. It has been redeemed. What does that mean? It means everything that you've been through, whether somebody did it to you or you did it to yourself, that it has to pay you back for all the pain that you've been through. So when Israel came out of Egypt, God said, don't leave yet. Ask your neighbors for all the silver and all the gold that they have in their house. And Israel looted everything that Egypt has. Because hear me, everything that you've been through will pay you back. According to the blood. But if you don't know that's who God says you are, you'll still walk in shame. You know how many believers that Jesus says you're a child of God and you still live like an orphan? What does it mean to live like an orphan? It means I live like I'm all I've got. I can't trust on anybody. I can't rely on anybody. I can't let anybody into my life. And I'm certainly not going to ask God to do anything for me. Because you've read that the Bible says you're forgiven, but you don't understand that it says you're a child. Here's what the Bible says. It says if you being an evil father still give good gifts. How much more will your heavenly father not give you all things? The identity that somebody gave you is people will walk all over if you let them. So stand up for yourself. Promote yourself. Let the world know who you are. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Watch this. And put on the clothes of humility. God said, don't tell the world how great you are. Lift up the people around you. Because God works against the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. What do you say about yourself? Do you say about yourself what your dad said right before he walked out and never came back? Or do you say about yourself what God's word says about you? That you are the head and not the tail. That you are above and not beneath. That you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. Hear me, salvation is when you change your mind about Jesus. Sanctification is when you change your mind about yourself. And so many of us, we know that Jesus is God, but we think that we are still broken. And we are broken people walking under the power of God because we haven't accepted what he said about us. All right, last thing is this. Play the keys. We're going to land this plane and get home. Somebody say amen. amen. I don't know if the shout, I don't know if the cry. Pastor, ouch. The last thing is this. We must change our mind. I didn't intend on wearing this scarf. I just can't get it off the hoodie because it's attached. So we're going to use it. <laughs> Pastor, what are you doing? I don't know. It's church. 
So they ripped those grave clothes off of Lazarus. <laughs> I'm having fun, are you? But there was still a cloth around his eyes. And he had freedom, but no vision. And he was making progress towards the sound of God, but he wasn't moving with any type of velocity. God said, take that cloth off of his face so that he can see. Can you see? Not, not, not can you see through your eyes? Because you don't actually see through your eyes. You see through your heart. You, you, you don't see life the way that life is. You see life the way that you are. That's why when you're looking to start a business and the person who started a business that failed comes and talks to you, they try to discourage you because they're trying to get you to see life the way that they saw life. And so many of us, we don't see life the way that it is. We see life the way that, that's why Paul said, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you can see the hope, the riches of the grace of God. There's so many believers that you love God, but you can't see your spouse. You know the divorce rate is the same in the world as it is in the church? Something's wrong, y'all. You can see your child, but you can't see the gifts and talents and abilities that God's placed inside of them because all you can see is the hopes and dreams that you have for them. And before you're going to see heaven on earth, you got to get your sight restored. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says this, and do not conform to the way the world sees things, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because only then will your life prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Does your life prove God? Or does it disprove God? He said it's all based on the way that you think. Now y'all know me. I always like to stand right to the edge and be real ignorant and I think sometimes it's the ignorance that shakes you awake. Some people think more Republican than they think kingdom. You know, the Republican Party is not God's party. Some people think more Democrat than they think kingdom. The Democrat Party is not God's party. Some people think more black than they think kingdom. Black people are not God's people. Some people think more white, Asian. Hispanic, African, be more. PG, Anne Arundel. We have a bunch of people that are on staff that have moved from other states. And they're all like, Maryland's expensive. I'm like, no, the South is whack. You 
may not realize this, but where you were raised, how you were raised, and what you've been through has taught you how to see, view, and observe life. And some of it was good, but a lot of it is not Bible. And we have held tighter to what our dad taught us than what the Word wants to show us. And then we wonder why relationship after relationship after relationship doesn't work out. And we have money problem after money problem after money problem. And there's millions of people around us, but we still feel lonely. And we're not seeing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living because you're seeing life through culture and through experience and through pain and through setback. And I hear the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords saying it is time that you come out of that grave of shame. It is time that you come out of that way of thinking. It is time that you be a new creation. The old has passed away and all things have become new. Somebody shout, I'm new. Come on, prophesy. Somebody shout, I'm new. I'm not the same person. I'm not broken, I'm whole. I'm not the tail, I'm the head. I'm not poor, I have more than enough. I'm not weak, he's made me strong. I'm no more mourning, he's given me a garment of praise for my spirit of heaviness. I'm a new creation. The old me does not exist anymore. But the new you is like driving a new car. You don't know where the buttons are. You don't know how to turn the heat on. Your windshield all foggy. You about to crash because you didn't have the same button as your last. You got to learn where things are in the kingdom. And you only learn when you dive into God's word. Sit down, sit down, sit down. I'm done. I'm over time, but I'm not. I'm offended. I knew how to respond when I was offended in the world. How do I respond when I'm offended in the kingdom? I knew how to respond when I had fear in the world, but how do I respond when I face fear in the kingdom? It's different rules apply. If I don't learn how to see life the way that God told me I am, I'll never experience his greatness for me. Union Church, I love you, but my heart breaks for you. Because I don't want you to walk in the salvation of God, but not the blessings of God. But I've realized how you see you will always supersede what God says about you. So let's dive in our word. And let's make a decision that no matter what my daddy taught me or my political party taught me, if it doesn't line up with God's word, it doesn't line up with me. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful that we are new creations in you. The old has passed away. All things have become new. God, we sense your presence in this room right now. God, you're, you're freeing people. You're breaking bondages. You're, you're opening eyes. You're restoring. You're mending hearts. You're doing what only happens when your word goes forth. God, we're praying that we would never be the same. Right where you're sitting with your eyes closed, your head bowed. If you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. It's this simple. Any area of your life that you're not seeing the miracles of God is an area where you need to replace with God's word. I'm going to say what he says and I'm going to see what he sees. 
I want to pray for people in particular that if you'd be honest, you have never been made alive in Christ. Maybe you've been dragged to church, but you've never been alive in Christ. You've never allowed him to make you a new. You've tried to be a better person, but you've never let him make you a new person. How do I know? Because I come to church and I don't feel much. Because I pray and I don't see much. Because everything today is going to look the same as tomorrow. That's because you're spiritually dead. But Jesus is in this room right now and he is here to make you alive. He just needs you to take one step towards him. That step is a step of faith. If you're here, you say, Pastor, I am not alive in Christ, but I want to be alive right where you're sitting. Just pray this prayer. This is your step of faith towards Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for seeing me. Thank you for wanting me. Come on, pray it with passion. Say, thank you for dying on the cross. So all my sin, all of my mistakes can be forgiven and be redeemed right now. I surrender. I give you all of me. And for the rest of my life, I will walk towards you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every single person?